Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And today I'm going to be talking uh, about parenting, which is something I know something about because I have five kids. And uh, about a month ago, we had the joy of dedicating our little baby in front of our church. Uh, this is a tradition that we do a lot of Protestants and evangelicals do. We don't baptize our babies, but we do take them in front of the church and say, you know, we have a little prayer and little dedication. Everybody prays for us, and we say, you know, we're committing ourselves before God to raise this child, you know, as as we should, you know, do right by them and um, teach them about what is right and wrong, and and you know, teach them about God and and, um, and those sorts of things. So, uh, you know, the, the whole family was up there, and um, the kids were kind of goofing off a little bit, but, you know, more, more or less, we kind of stood there for the little uh, ceremony and prayer, and, and then we went back to our seat, and, and then I think it was a potluck afterwards. Anyways, uh, afterwards, somebody came up to me and said, uh, you know, good job, congratulations, so happy for you, and then he said, you make it look easy, and... Um, the second time this fall that somebody has said that phrase to me, you make it look easy. And uh, as it turns out, it hasn't been an easy fall. Uh, this last one, last child we had, um, we had some, some not health concerns, but there were some things that needed specialists and, and wasn't sleeping right. And it was just like, yeah, September's a really busy time for me too with work. And it's, it's been hard. It's been really hard. Um, so I don't know how I'm making it look easy, but it's not easy. And so my immediate thought both times that somebody said that to me was, it might look easy, but it's not easy. Um, there's all sorts of, of difficult, you know, sleepless nights and craziness going on. Um, and along with that, you know, it's, it's this constant, uh, questioning of, are we doing it right? You know, my wife and I are often having these these parent conferences of you know th- this parenting style works for this child but for this one doesn't seem to be working how can we help that you know this per- this child you know displayed this character trait you know we need to deal with with working this out of them how do we deal with this sin issue how do we deal with this you know pride issue or whatever and, and we're continually trying to figure it out and we're really often not knowing what we're doing like we hit something and it's like this is new we've never hit this you know and we bounce ideas off each other and and a lot of the time we kind of just feel like we're winging it um and so it is nice to hear somebody say that seems like you know things are going well um that being said um that being said you know 10 years and five kids later there are some things i've learned about what to do and, and certainly what not to do as a parent. And this is what led me to um, do a Bible study on the university campus as part of my job as a campus pastor. Um, did a Bible study on parenting. And, you know, most of the, well, all the people that came, the students, they didn't have kids. I have kids. So it seemed like a good way to kind of share my wisdom. And then um, my pastor encouraged me to share the same ideas with the church and so I did and that was a more scary moment for me talking about parenting is I find it scary uh, for a whole bunch of reasons and probably the main reason is that 
um, it's such a deep issue. It's most people uh, when they, I mean, you almost never verbalize it because it's so deep, but people wonder, am I a good parent? I mean, I wonder that. Um, and usually it's, it's an extremely difficult question to ask yourself or to say out loud because when somebody says, am I a good parent? It's usually equivalent to asking, am I a good person? Am I a good human being? Because, you know, of all the things that we do, you know, like, are you musical? Are you in shape? Are you rich? Are you good at your job? Are you a good parent? I mean, that being a good parent kind of stands above the rest. Maybe especially in our society, I'm not sure. But, but certainly it feels like it stands above the rest as like, this is the way that you're measured. Like, this is actually you. And so if we feel like we're failing as parents, it just like, it's devastating. And so it's hard to even approach this issue of, of you know, is there something I could learn? Is there some way I could grow? Uh, and then it's, it's difficult when you're asked to speak on the issue or volunteer to speak on the issue of parenting because you feel like maybe you do have a few things to share. You know, you don't want to communicate certain things. You don't want to communicate that people are failing and they're worthless if they're not doing it a certain way. And you certainly don't want to communicate that you you got it all together, which is why I, you know, started by saying, look, like, I don't have it all together. Um, and, um, you know, if we're not careful, we can communicate that my way of doing parenting is the right way, and that's the only way to do parenting. And we can we can fall into this trap of legalism, which is a basic human problem. It's not just a religious problem. All humans are legalistic and fall into this trap of judging others, propping yourself up, uh, finding one or two things that are visible um, and putting all our confidence in, well, if I can just get my kids to do this, this, and this, and if other people notice that and I can look at other people and I say, my kids are doing better at these things than those people, then I'm a better parent. And you know I can rest easy, and um, so I I really don't want to do that, uh, and I, I've thought through my what I want to say really carefully to avoid that. Um, I did end up preaching on this subject, and you can go look at that sermon both in my YouTube channel and in my podcast. Um, it's called the Heart of Christian Parenting because I know that there's a whole bunch of parenting models out there, both within the church and outside the church. Uh, and they all have something good to contribute. A lot of them, honestly, you know, are somewhat one-sided. And a lot of them do kind of fall into this trap of legalism, of picking out a few things that are super important, emphasizing those and not emphasizing some other things that are important. Or picking one thing that worked for you and your kids and, and writing a book about it, but it might not work for everybody's kids because there's a lot of different types of kids, a lot of different personalities, a lot of different life cir circumstances. Um, that's something that I didn't put in my notes, but man, when you have five kids, you sure realize that their personalities are different. I mean, girls and boys are different for sure, but just the kids one to another, like, you know, it, it, it's just remarkable how different they are and how, you know, we have, I don't want to share too much personal detail, but I'm just thinking of one of our kids that just has such a strong personality. Just he's just a certain way. He's just he's just 
he's him. He has that personality. And as we look back through old videos and old photos, he was like that, like, like from when he was one or two, like he just that personality was the way he is. And so I, you know, people that think they have it all figured out because they've raised, you know, their kids, however many that was, and, and the things that work for their kids is now their model. Um, it might not work for all kids because kids are very, very different. So I want to get to the heart of it. And, and the heart of it for me is, number one, th just two rules. You can go listen to the sermon, but there's basically just two rules. If you want to be, be a better parent, be a better person. If you want to be a better parent, be a better person. And that's going to enable you as you're in the trenches and as you're, you know, in the mess and in the thick of life and as you're sleepless and as you're tired and and confused and getting mixed messages from different advice and and trying to figure it out with your partner and and having you know conflicts with your kids if you're a better person you know um, in uh, Galatians it talks about the fruit of the spirit fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You know, if, if you're the sort of person that, that is characterized by love, by self-control, by um, kindness, then things are going to go better for you. And you might not get everything right. You not, might not check off all those boxes. You might not have the perfect, you know, Facebook profile kids. But it's going to be okay, you know. And the contrary of that is that the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are outbursts of anger, um, malice, strife, you know. And if we have lives that are characterized by deeds of the flesh, you know, yelling at the top of our voice and, um, and being malicious towards people instead of kind and, um, you know, having so much anger that it just boils up and explodes out, then that's going to leave a mark, unfortunately. And so if you want to be a better parent, be a better person. Put your energy there. Um, not saying that reading all the parenting books isn't important, but the most important thing you can do is, look, get counseling. Deal with your own childhood. Deal with the hurts that happened, you know, from being raised, from, from going to school, from... Um, things that happen to you. Just just find your healing for that um, in, in whatever way you can. Jordan Peterson said in his, well, one of the chapters of his book, 12 Rules for Life, is treat yourself like someone you are responsible, responsible for taking care of. He ended it with a dangling proposition. Does that really help me or what? Treat yourself like someone you are responsible for taking care of. Um, treat yourself like someone for which you are responsible for taking care. Maybe it should. Anyways, um, it's hard to, to think about ourselves. And I, I mean, it might be especially hard for mothers who are just wired to care for their child and will sometimes pour themselves out to such a point that there's nothing left. But it's important for us to take the time to care for ourselves and if we care for ourselves and specifically i'm not just talking about you know getting a manicure or spending time on the golf course i'm, I'm talking about care for yourself 
the, the same way that you look at your child and you say, wow, they're, they're really not being kind to their sister. What's going on in their heart? And you try and have this little parent-child counseling session and, and figure out what's going on. And, and you care about what's going on in their heart and you try and help them with that. Look at yourself and don't just be like, oh, I blew up again. I have a problem and get angry at yourself. That's not gonna, that doesn't solve anything. Look at yourself and say, I have this anger issue that comes up every time my child does X. So what is it about this situation that's triggering this deep anger? Because you're not just a terrible person. You're a wounded person. And so what caused that wound? And if you healed your, if you found healing for that wound, how would that change how you parent? And is it possible? I believe this, this is kind of the, the irony or the, the paradox of Christian theology because Christians sometimes get a bad rap for having a very negative view of what a human is because we maintain that humans are sinful. And, um, you know, Western Christians, Catholics and Protestants usually maintain that Christians are sinful from birth. We have original sin. They have a mark of sin on us that goes all the way back to Adam. And on top of that, we have the generational sins that our specific parents did that that affect our lives so that sounds very negative well you know kids are basically they have sin in them um wouldn't it be better to think of kids as a blank slate but there's a profoundly positive message which is that we were made in the image of god so our default our our um the original the, the human being as it is, is made in the image of God. We have this spark of divinity in us. We, we were created to be like God. What does that mean? Well, God's spirit in us, that's what Christians mean when they say the Holy Spirit. It means God living in us, causing change, causing transformation. What, what does it look like when that happens? Again, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You can look it up in Galatians 6. So, yes, there's sin that needs to be dealt with. You know, we're broken people. We have been sinned against and we have sinned. And by whatever a man has been overcome by this, he is enslaved. We are enslaved by what we have let in and what has happened to us. But as we work our way past that, and as we specifically invite the living God to live inside of us, and I'm not speaking metaphorically, I know G Jordan Peterson speaks about God as a metaphor. In most of what he's saying, he, he doesn't actually believe in God. God is a symbol. But I actually believe that God exists. He's a personal being, and the Holy Spirit, I, I truly believe, lives in me and is transforming me and giving me power to, to be loving, kind, gentle, more than I have in myself. Which, this just occurred to me now, that might be why people have been telling me these things when I'm so tired, because there's so little of myself left that God is shining through. Anyways, um, that may or may not be true. It just occurred to me on the spot. Um, and so if you want to be a better person, if you want to be a better parent, be a better person. Um, help fix yourself up as best you can. Um, and fix up your relationship with your spouse as much as you can. 
So that's the first point. It's a big point. It's you can go a lot of different directions with it. What does health look like for you? What does healing look like for you and your partner? Um, you know, your spouse. Second point is raise your kids with loving discipline. And in my sermon, I talked about how the Heavenly Father modeled this for us, that he spoke over Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he said that before Jesus did anything. He didn't heal anybody. He didn't die for the world. He didn't teach anybody. He just, you know, was baptized by John the Baptist. And right away, you know, the Holy Spirit came down on him in the form of a dove, whatever that you know, looked like or meant. And a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That we need to have this attitude towards our kids that I love you. You're, you're my beloved and I'm pleased with you. Before you do anything, after you do anything, while you're doing anything, you, you are my heart. My heart beats for you. And um, later on, uh, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, the father speaks over him, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And this, again, is, is our parental heart. Listen to my child. This is my son. This is my daughter. This, they've got something to say, people. You know, that this, is, this is my child. And I love them. And they're, they're important. And we need to push our kids out in the world and, and tell the world that this is an amazing human being that's entering the scene. But at the same time, we need to have discipline and we need to have walls and we need to have boundaries and we need to have um, we need to have that ability to keep our kids secure within certain parameters. And, uh, you know, I kind of just laid that out and said this is important. Uh, and then that was about all I could get out in the time that I had. Um, and also, I didn't want to get too deep into uh, the discipline issue because this is really where a lot of parenting methods diverge um, some people still believe in corporal punishment even though it's more or less illegal uh, to spank your kids um, and you know there's all sorts of different ideas about how we should raise our kids how we should and how and especially how we should discipline them and how we shouldn't um, and so I didn't want to get into you know, which model is right, which one is wrong, uh, and I still don't. But I do want to emphasize that it's really, really, really important to have parameters and discipline for our kids. And that might look different, you know, depending on your past, depending on your philosophy, depending on the research that you have done into the best way to raise kids. You know, it's going to look, and depending on the personality of your kids, uh, it's, it's going to look very different. And I think that the best thing that a parent can be is teachable and adaptable. You know, I, I, um, this, this is a whole other subject, but I recently talked with, with um, a young father who's about to have a child. And um, how this is how he as a father is going to deal with this issue. And he, he laid out an issue that is, you know, a common problem for most parents. And then he said, well, you know, I read this book and the way to deal with this issue is to always do this. You know, so he had a black and white answer for that. And no matter what, you always do this. And then that issue is just resolved. And so he's not worried about that issue because he knows what he's going to do. He's always going to do X. 
whenever that issue comes up. And my wife and I kind of were like, yeah, okay, well, you know, there some children's personalities might react this way, you know. One of our children would not go over well. And yeah, well, you know, but I, this one, okay, well, you know, um, that's nice. Um, and, and it seems like young parents kind of gravitate towards this, that there's a black and white answer. And if we can just figure out the rules, then there will be no problems. But I would just encourage you that um, being a successful parent, such that success is using a category to be applied to parenting, um, being a sane parent, being a healthy parent that's raising healthy kids is about adaptability. Yeah, I, I like that a lot better. Success is not a category that should be applied to parenting. But while we're being adaptable, there's also, there needs to be some guidelines. Not everything can be in flux. There's some things that need to be somewhat stable and these are gonna help us to raise healthy kids. So, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning, um, although I often feel like I have nothing to say, when I think back on um, a young me, you know, when I was in the, in the shoes of this, this young dad, uh, waiting for my child to come and thinking, wow, I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to have to try and figure out how to be, you know, the all in all to my kids for all these years. The, the provider, the security, the discipliner, the person that loved, the person that they're always going to remember as their dad, hopefully, Lord willing. Um, the person that in some ways is going to model God to them, that when they read the stories about God in the Bible, they're going to think about that through the lens of their own parent. What responsibility? How am I going to do this? And as, as a very young parent, we got married at, at, um, at 21 and we had our first kid at 22, so we were young and didn't know what we were doing. Um, and my only experience was I had a dog that I really loved. It was kind of my best friend growing up. And so I knew how to train animals. I knew how to work with animals. And I kind of used that as a frame of reference. My wife was like, really? Like, it's very different. And I'm like, well, it's all I got. <laughs> this is what I know. I wasn't raised with kids at all. Uh, so I didn't know what I was doing in that sense. Um, and I remember how I was raised, kind of. And this is the main thing I would want to tell my, like the previous version of myself, is that um, when you start thinking about parenting, Oftentimes what we do is we think about what it was like to be parented as a teenager, especially when perhaps especially when when you start parenting fairly young and you don't have a lot of access to young kids. You think, well, when I was parented, you know, there wasn't enough freedom or my parents didn't understand me or they didn't give me enough enough room to grow. I, I'm not saying this of myself. I'm just saying this is often what teenagers feel because, you know, teenagers, they're they're young adults, they have all these adult urges, they want to get out there and explore the world and, you know, break through, you know, structure, societal structures and have their own ideas and be original and this is what, this is what God designs teenagers to want, right? And oftentimes when teenagers finally leave home, this is what they want, you know, and they want to listen to rock music and they want to stay up late and, and you know, they, they want freedom. And young kids don't want that young kids need structure and this is what um this is what i want to communicate through this podcast is that 
to you know letter to the young dad and the young mom letter to my former self you're not raising teenagers yet you're not you're raising young kids and what is what again is the main difference between teenagers and children you know young kids they need structure teenagers want to break structure and and create their own structure and have an adventure but the young kids you know one two three four five six you know the young kids what they need is they need structure okay um kids need structure so i mentioned earlier as well that christians believe that we are made in the image of god but that we have fallen we have sin nature within us and sin nature does not come from without only it, it does come from without but it also comes from within christians often talk about um the flesh, the world, and the devil as the three sources of evil. So the flesh being just those sin nature within us. Well, let, let's start. Yeah, okay. That's where we'll start. The flesh being those sin nature within us. We, we have a tendency to go wrong. Um, the world meaning the world has a tendency to go wrong. Big corporations, uh, entertainment industry, um, just crowds of people that do stupid things. Facebook, we have a tendency to go wrong. That's the world. And the devil, we actually believe that there's Satan and demons. Just as much as there are God and angels, there are bad spirits that also can tempt us and, and encourage us into, bad into a bad direction. Not that you can ever abdicate responsibility for your actions. There's no scriptural teaching that the devil makes you do something. But Satan and demons can be part of tempting us as Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, uh, Satan can tempt us as well. And uh, Proverbs twenty two fifteen, a very well-known passage, says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Now, that gets us right away into corporal punishment, and I'm not going there. What I want to take out of that passage is just to say, there's folly, there's foolishness, there is stupidity, in the heart of every human being on the planet. And as a young child grows and develops, this is, by the way, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the book of Proverbs is a really interesting place to start because all that the book of Proverbs is, is it's this collection. It's often attributed to, Sam, to King Solomon, who's the wisest man that ever lived. And it's just really practical, down-to-earth wisdom. Um, and something that uh, Jordan Peterson has helped me uh, rediscover and reappreciate is that um, it's not always, and, and C.S. Lewis talks about this as well, that it's not always in looking forward and in the newest discoveries that we find wisdom. Oftentimes wisdom, especially when you're, when you're thinking about you know, social wisdom, how the human race works best, the best wisdom is in the tried and true wisdom. You know, the, the wisdom of the ancient people, the old stories. This is where the true wisdom comes from how to live a healthy life, how to live a happy life, how to, you know, how to not mess up your human existence and the existence of others. So this ancient wisdom from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs twenty two fifteen, Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from them. So, there is foolishness in, in children, and they need discipline to push that foolishness out. 
there's things like laziness that are just part of kids. There's selfishness. There's entitlement. There's a desire to control. There's a, there's a desire to cause pain just for the sake of causing pain. This is what um, these some of these things are what Jordan Peterson and uh, Carl Jung would call the shadow self. Um, the Christians would just call it sin. Um, there's all sorts of things that are not good within children. And they need to be disciplined so that they know not to not to continue in this, this vein, which I think is fairly fairly rational and self-explanatory, but it sounds kind of radical um, in today's day and age to say that you know, kids do bad things and we shouldn't let them do it. I mean, come on. Uh, how can anybody disagree with that? Well, just take a sociology degree and you'll realize um, that everything is about power and uh, Marxism and all that sort of stuff. Anyways, um, this is my belief, is that kids need discipline. And kids will push parents until they find that line. This is important for you to know, young fathers, young mothers, is kids will not push just because they're naughty. I mean, sometimes they are, right? They do have that sin nature. But kids will keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And you'll put, you know, th th there's this, you know, you'll draw a line in the sand and say, kids, stay on that side of the line. And you'll have one, I mean, if you do that with 10 kids, you'll have one kid that runs up to the line and sticks his toe across. And the other nine kids will watch him with absolute fixed attention and see exactly what he does and exactly what you do. And they will remember that. Like they might forget everything you say in the course of like a week. But they will not forget that moment. And here's why kids do that. Because they need to know where the lines are. They have this fundamental need to say, where are the boundaries? How how shall I live? Like, like, what is my world? Because for a certain amount of time, parents, sorry to put more pressure on you, but you are their world. You create their social structure. You create their universe. And so when you say, don't, don't cross this line, and somebody runs up and crosses it, what they're seeing is, is this actually a line? Is this the border of my existence? Is this, and, and as adults, we do the same thing too, right? The, the speed limit says 80 kilometers an hour in Canada. I think it's like, is it 45 or 50 miles an hour in the States? And we drive over until a policeman pulls us over. And we think back and we think, well, he pulled me over going this speed, but he didn't pull me over when I was just going 7% over. He pulled me over when I went, you know, 20% over. And we share that information with our, with our friends, don't we? We say, well, you know, like if you, the, the law does say you need to, to follow the speed limit. But under these conditions, you can actually break the rules. And there's a very precise science to know exactly how much you can break the rules. Because if you actually drive the speed limit, people are passing you left and right, and it's not actually safe. You need to go past the speed limit to what 
is actually the real rule, right? And it takes time and energy to figure out what is the actual real rule. In Canada, it's you know, not often 90 kilometers an hour. It's actually more like 100 in a 90 zone. It's not actually you know, 100 in a 100 zone. It's more like 115. Um, and I mean, you can judge, but that's just how it is, right? And kids do exactly the same thing. And it's critical for us as parents. It is critical that we maintain those lines. We maintain them consistently. If it's appropriate, we follow the rules too. I'm not saying that you need to do everything that your kids do. Sometimes you ask them to do things they're not going to do. But if it's basic human decency, like not yelling and um, you know being fair and asking, letting other people go first, yeah, you need to follow the same rules that your kids do. Don't don't be a hypocrite. And it needs to be um, it needs to be the same, you know, relatively the same whether grandma or grandpa are over, whether you go to church, or, you know, whatever. It needs to be reasonably similar or the same. If the lines change drastically depending where you are, the kids are going to detect that or they're not going to detect it. It's, it's going to be hard for them to handle because this line keeps moving. Imagine that you're driving along the highway one day and the policeman pulls you over and he says, you're going 82 in an 80 zone. And you're like, what the heck? 82? And, you're giving, and, he, and he writes you a ticket, no mercy, boom. Okay. And then, so, so you drive 80 all the time. You're driving 80. And the next, next day, this policeman <laughs> zips past you and everybody else is zipping past you. And you're like, what the heck? Other people are doing, you know, 100 kilometers in this zone. And I can only do 80. And, and so then you speed up and you're like, all right, well, I guess I can, I can go faster because everybody else is going faster. What, what's going on? And then you get pulled over for doing 85 sometime another day. And, and you're like, what is going on? Like, like, just enter into that madness for a second of getting two speeding tickets going, you know, a reasonable speed and seeing other people not getting penalized. You're, you're like, what's going on? I need to know. Like, you're not going to sleep that night as you're trying to figure out what you did wrong and where the rules actually are because we need to know where the rules are. And kids are like this. They need to know where the rules are. And that's why the kid runs up and crosses the line because he's going to take a hit for the team because he is that kid that just, you know, is impelled to do that and because he wants to know where the line actually is. And so you need to you need to follow through. If you say, kids, don't do this, be ready that the kids will challenge you and be ready with appropriate discipline. So something that comes to my mind right now is that, and I don't have it on my sheet, but it's really important, is you need to be, you need to be reasonable about the promised punishments, okay? Never ground anybody for a month. I mean, at least never promise to ground somebody for a month. If they really, you know, try to set the house on fire or something, maybe it's, maybe it's appropriate to ground them for a month. But, you know, in, in, in your regular talking with the kids, look, kids, um, stop having a temper tantrum or else, you know, everybody else is going to get a candy when you get in the car, but not you. You know, it, it's small. It's reasonable. It's you're actually going to follow through on it. Um, pick something like that. Don't pick something like, you know, 
there'll be no TV for the next three weeks or, or something like that. That I mean, they're not even going to remember in two days why they're being punished, depending on their age. Um, so be reasonable in, in what you promise. But when you promise, follow through. And when you follow through, you know, actions speak louder than, than words. It is so true that actions speak louder than words with kids. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just so important. It's so important to lay the boundaries, make them reasonable, make them understandable. And when your kids cross the line, you know, follow through with reasonable discipline. And that makes kids happy. I know it sounds weird, but disciplining kids makes kids happy. If you want unhappy, crazy, cranky kids that have temper tantrums and that just have this angst, this just this rage inside them, change the rules all the time. You know, it's radically different depending who's around, but the kids aren't, you know, in tune enough to know that grandma or the pastor entered the room. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're getting penalized for going 82 when before they could go 120, you know, in the speeding zone. Make it reasonable lines and enforce them. And I mean, that really plays into you being a healthy person. Are you emotionally healthy enough that if your kids act up and make a fool of you in front of, you know, somebody that you respect, are you going to be able to let that slide off your back? Or are you going to, you know, go to this legalistic place of being like, I need to compare myself to somebody else. If somebody else is doing better than me and I'm doing worse, then I feel like a nobody. And right now I feel like we're not doing as well. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get my kids to perform so that I feel better about myself. Don't, don't do that. Be a better person. Um, get saved have the holy spirit in you transforming you that's really the answer so kids need structure kids need structure along with that um, kids need simple straightforward commandments to follow you know god gave the 10 commandments which are written on a lot of walls and a lot of houses and some courtrooms and things like that you know he, he made it simple yeah, from here it's going to get more complicated. But the the bottom line is, you know, stop killing people, stop taking their stuff, stop wanting their stuff, um, stop sleeping with other people's wives, you know, keep it simple. You as a parent need to keep it simple. And I really want to encourage you that kids can't pro process sarcasm. Like that is actually the developmental stage where like if you if you want to have a speak a secret language with your your spouse like you can speak sarcasm and and your young kids will not understand what's going on because you know you need to understand that it takes a while to figure life out it takes a while to figure out language and then it takes a while to figure out culture and you know all those higher learning things that come along with um with being a, a fully functioning member of society young kids can't understand sarcasm and they can't process a whole lot of, of adult speech. You know, they, they process it in small bits. And so you need to get down on their level physically. It often helps when you really need to talk to them, get down on their level, hold them, look them in the eye and say, Johnny, 
I need you to stop hitting your sister. You need to stop hitting your sister because that wouldn't be nice for her to hit you now, would it? No, that wouldn't be nice. Okay, Johnny, don't hit your sister or else you're going to go to your room. I don't want to go to my room. Well, stop hitting your sister then. But, but I don't, you know, whatever. And, and you have that, that conversation. You keep it simple. This is the action I don't want you to do. This is the consequence that will happen if you continue. Um, keep it simple. And what, what happens, um, what can happen uh, if we don't keep it simple is, and especially if we don't, if, if we feel embarrassed or, or shy or nervous about disciplining, what can sometimes happen is we delay discipline, we delay discipline because we're in this, this denial mode of thinking that our kids are perfect and if we can just make the perfect environment for them then our kids will grow up perfect. And because we're so narcissistic, we think that we're perfect and our environment is perfect, um, even though, you know, we're not perfect. And so at a certain point, our kid acts up to a, to a degree that we can't ignore, and then the floodgates open. And we say, I can't believe you did this. This is so frustrating. I did this, I did this, I did this. I've waited for you to to come through and you didn't come through and just you know all this stuff and little three-year-old Johnny is just like okay like and and what is being communicated to them like I mean you need to think back to like Charlie Brown you know with his teacher you know like like kids don't understand everything that we throw at them and when mom or dad is angry and yelling and, and all this stuff, they're not getting it all. All that they're getting is, my parent is mad at me. They're not approving of me. Um, this, is, this is hurting me, but I don't know what I did wrong. So this, again, is like getting pulled over by the policeman, and he just yells and yells and yells and yells and yells at you. And then gives you, you know, a five hundred dollar ticket, and then leaves. And you're sitting there like, "What did I do? Can I fix it? Can I appeal this in court? I don't know what's going on." And this is this is profoundly frustrating for kids because, you know, an adult listening to that can be like, "Okay, well, what she's saying is this, and, and what he what he means to say is this," and and parse out what the child should do, but the child doesn't know. You need to get calm yourself down, you know, remove yourself from the situation if you need to, but get down on their level and say, this is the action that is not appropriate. This is, you know, how you fix this problem. And, you know, here's the, the reward and consequence of, of you either doing or not doing this action. Uh, so I would very much encourage you to keep it simple. And especially avoid sarcasm because they literally physically cannot comprehend sarcasm before a certain age. And this is just going to help, again, to reinforce the idea that the rules need to be there and they need to be rules that, that help and rules that care for the kid. And um, your kids are going to love you for this. They might not love you in the moment, but they will love you for this. Uh, for having reasonable rules that make sense, that give them a secure idea of what is right and what is wrong and what to do to impress you.
Um, this should be self-evident from what I said, but it probably is worth underlining. You should almost never lose a battle of wills. When you draw the line in the sand, that is the line in the sand. And if somebody sticks their toe across, they will receive the punishment for it. So if you tell your kids, um, I, I think sometimes of in the Old Testament, there's a story of Samuel, a young boy that um, listened to God and God spoke to him. And, and, and Samuel became a prophet that would speak to other people about God's will for them. And there's a little verse that says, and God did not let any of his words fall to the ground. And everything that Samuel said, people listened to. And, and when Samuel opened his mouth, people stopped what they were doing and listened. And we as parents need to be like that. None of our words should fall to the ground. And if mom or dad says, kids, do X, you know, set the table, pick up your clothes, stop hitting your sister, whatever it is, and the kids don't just completely ignore them, you know, it, the words just fall to the ground, then there is a serious problem. And that problem needs to be addressed. Um, and the way that it gets addressed is by you not losing. The, the reason that words fall to the ground like that is because you have lost a battle of wills. Because yes, you might have said all these wonderful statements that would have made so much sense to an adult, but the kids just heard blah, 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 blah. And then when you said, okay, here's, here's the line, kids. I'm drawing it in the sand. One of them ran across, stuck their toe across, and you did nothing. And they were like, I guess the speed limit is 120 not 80 and that's the rule that they're following is what you actually enforce and what you actually enforce potentially is nothing and so what they actually abide by is nada whatever they feel like and this is a terrifying place for a kid and that adds a lot of stress to them because they don't know what what in the world life is and they're too young to be excited about a wilderness a wilderness for a child is a terrifying place. And so on top of, you know, not that, not that they're visibly demonstrating that fear, but it's something that's causing them mental angst. And that's part of, you know, everything that's going on. So instead of this, like if you want to regain control, it's simple. Here's what you do. You draw a line in the sand. You pick, you pick your line. You make sure it's a good one before you pick it, okay? Um, this is another, a separate point here, but if you don't want your words to fall to the ground, then don't say something stupid. Don't say, if you don't pick that up right now, you know, um, what would something stupid be? Um, you're going to need, you're going to your room with no supper or something, you know, which is not a, not a kind thing to do and and you're not going to follow through with it anyways it's just something you got from a book or something right or or you're going to be grounded all evening or you can't go play with your friend well you know you're not going to follow through on that pick something reasonable small and and this is what you're actually going to follow through on this okay if you don't do this this is going to happen all right and it, you know it's something that the kid you know it makes a difference for them the find is worth more than speeding and don't back down don't back down that's it 
just don't back down. And, you know, whatever the kid does, even if it's, you know, laying on the ground screaming and holding their breath till they're blue, literally, perhaps, um, you don't back down. And then the kid figures out, oh, that's what his line is. And when they figure it out, and it might take a while to unlearn everything that they've learned, but once they figure it out, then they bounce away and they go on their happy way. And, and now they know where one of the lines is. And it makes them into happier individuals, in my experience. It's really important, um, really important that you don't push it. Like if, you're, if you pick your battles, you think through what they're going to do, you think through what you're going to do, you say, no, I'm going to stick it out. It might be a long, drawn-out fight, you know. It, it, the kid might really push it. But you can't let them push it and then finally give in. That is absolute. You would be better off not even having a battle than letting it go for, for however long, 10 minutes or however long the crisis goes, and then giving in. Because what you're doing is what you're training the child is that mom has a breaking point. This rule has a breaking point. That breaking point is precisely 10 minutes of screaming and fussing and throwing things. If you do that, then I'll let you have your way. Just imagine, put, let's put this in grown-up terms. Imagine that, you know, April 15th rolls around or whenever tax season is, and you're paying your taxes and you're frustrated and, and it's always so high. And then you're going out for coffee with your friend and they say, I got out of my taxes. I didn't have to pay. And you're like, what? You didn't have to pay? How did you not have to pay? Well, I thought it was ridiculous. I got so mad. I called up, you know, the IRS or the CRA and I just laid into them and I just yelled and I screamed and I held my breath and I rolled on the floor. And finally they said, all right, fine. You don't have to pay. So just think about that for a second. What's going on in your mind? You're frustrated because you can't afford ta to pay taxes and you have to pay taxes. And here's your friend. They got out of it just by screaming. So you're thinking, how much screaming do I have to do to get out of this? And also you're thinking, that's not fair that he gets out of it and I don't. That's not how the world should work. It should be fair. But especially you're thinking, I could get out of this. If, and you're probably thinking that rationally. Kids aren't at the capacity to kind of distance themselves from themselves, to think about themselves. We have this, this funny capacity to be divorced from ourselves and able to think that way. Kids, if, if you let it go and then discipline them and, and then don't discipline them, what you're doing is training them to, to be crazier longer and longer and longer as, you know, um, because they know there's a breaking point. And so if they want... If they want something hard long enough, or if they want something enough, they're going to push you right to the edge until they can get it. So don't let them win. If mom says something and dad is standing there, and the kids all let that word drop to the ground, and I do this, I say, kids, your mom is talking. You listen to her. And she does the same for me. Um, and and that's, not, that's not being, like, I'm not talking about, you know, outward manifestations of anger and aggression. You know, the, the deeds of the flesh are outbursts of anger, are um, wrath and clamor. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about 
kids, mom said something. Turn off the screens. Say yes, mom. You know, it, nobody's getting angry here. We're just saying somebody's talking. Listen. And we're saying that um, when mom or dad says something, you know, we need to listen. Um, now, I, I preface this by saying you should almost never lose a battle of wills because there is a time when the kid is tired and you're tired and it's just, it's just let it be. Just let it be, you know, and, and, and the battle goes a certain direction and you're like, this isn't the time at 9.30 at night after visiting grandma and everybody's tired to go into this. Uh, we're just, just call it a draw reaffirm our love for one another, reaffirm our love for you and just get you to bed and we'll deal with it in the morning because the reality is if the battle is unresolved, you will deal with it in the morning because the kid is, if, if the kid feels like there's a boundary that is not set, they will come back to that line and stick their foot over it again and again and again and they will just keep pushing it until they find where your end point is and that's where they'll stop. And so, because they need to know what the structure is. Just like you, if, if you drove over the speed limit and nobody ever stopped you and everybody else is doing it, you're, something in you is gonna be like, how fast exactly can we go? And if you're not gonna be the one to go fast, you wanna know how fast other people are going. Because you, you just wanna know what, what the limit actually is. Um, but there is, there is a time to just let it be, just let it be. So that being said, um, I think the main thing is that kids need need discipline, they need structure. Um, along with that, they need routine. Kids, well, we all need routine, but uh, kids, you can see it a lot more. They have less resilience. Um, you know, they need their afternoon naps at a certain age, and at all ages, they need routine. Their body uh, can adapt if you get them into a certain routine and sometimes they're acting out, not especially because they're, they're bad or, um, or even because they're testing boundaries, they're just tired. So give the kids sleep. Uh, kids really need sleep. And so again, I mean, it's sad that I have to say this, but I don't think that what I've said is gonna be helpful to somebody that has an unhealthy parenting style or perhaps has been raised in an unhealthy parenting style um, we ought not discipline from anger. And I think that's very clear from uh, Galatians 5 and 6 that the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are outbursts of anger, wrath, clamor, strife. If you're doing this and calling it discipline, you're doing it wrong because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. This is, this is the zone you should be operating from. So, back to this concept of we need to have good lines, we need to have boundaries. And that's what makes kids happy. If you're still unsure of this, um, well, here's the, here's the mental picture I wanna leave you with. There's two places that you could be, okay? One of them is this little cottage in the woods. It's surrounded by a strong wall 
that keeps all the badness out. And inside there's a beautiful meadow filled with flowers and in the middle of that you know, beautiful little safe place is a white cottage with a straw roof and inside mom is baking some, some cookies and um, dad is there, he's a, he's a woodcutter, he's got an axe, he's, you know, the, the big bad wolf can't come because dad is there and, um, you know, brothers and sisters are playing out there on the lawn and it's small but it's cozy and it's safe. And it's predictable. Every day the same things happen. And it's safe and it's beautiful and it's warm. Okay, that's one place. Here's another place. Out further in the woods. Um, there is no wall around this place. It's a mansion. It's huge. It's uh, got long hallways down down uh, the corridors and it's a magic mansion sometimes the corridors change the, nobody knows when or how they just change um, it's 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 dark there's mirrors that that warp the light and so when you go in sometimes you don't know which direction you're going and then a corridor can change and some people get lost in there um, so which which place would you rather go to the, the safe cottage in the woods or this twisted mansion. Now, as I say that, some, some of you might think, well, what is this twisted mansion? But it, that sounds interesting. Maybe, maybe there's treasure down some of the hallways. What, maybe there's some way to figure out the magic of the, of the corridors and, and maybe figure this out. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, that cottage sounds a little bit too safe, maybe a little bit too boring, too predictable. Let me ask you three questions. First of all, where would you like to visit? So maybe some of you wanted, would want to visit the Twisted Mansion and see what secrets it holds, right? Where would you like to sleep? I bet most of us wouldn't want to be in the Twisty Mansion after dark, right? You want to go home and sleep in the nice, safe cottage, provided it doesn't somehow turn into a the Wicked Witch somehow, but no, that's not part of the story. Um, and which place would you rather have been raised in? Which place would you, what is the place in which you would have rather been raised? What is the place in which you would have rather been raised? Start off by critiquing Jordan Pearson with ending with a proposition. There I go, it's getting late. I think most of us would say, we would have rather been raised in, you know, the safe cottage. That's the place where it's predictable, it's safe. People are strong to protect me. People are warm and kind to nurture me, not to control me. And I know what to do. I, I know how to act because people are clear and direct and they tell me what to do to make them happy and, and so that I can gain their approval and so that I can be happy. And, and that's where we can thrive. And what, what's beautiful when it happens, and let's end on a good note, what's beautiful is that when you raise a kid like that in the happy cottage, in that place where there is peace and there is safety and there is joy and there is love, 
then they get to a certain age and they want to go beyond the walls and they want to get out and they want to have their own ideas and they want to have their adventure and they want to explore the twisty mansion. You know, maybe they meet some girl in college and it seems like the corridors are always changing and it seems like, you know, there's twisty mirrors and, and she says, you did this and you said that and, and he's like, I didn't say that. And, and it's just this big chaotic mess. And it feels like it at the time, right? Love is, is, is crazy. But your children are at the age for it and they're ready for it. They're teenagers, they're young adults and they get out there in the world and they're trying to make their mark and, and, and they get hurt and they get confused and, and, and all this stuff is happening. <clears throat> but they can always come home to that cottage in the woods where there is safety and there's protection and there's validation. And even if they can't literally come home anymore, because they've been loved and cared for through those critical years, they take home with them no matter where they go. Because they know that they have a mother's love and they have a father's love with them. Trying to end on a good note, but the reality is a lot of people don't have that. And nobody has it perfectly. But this is what we want to give to our kids as best as we can. That safety, that protection, that love, and that sense of order, and that central belief that if you approach the world with goodwill, then things will go well for you. At least they will go better for you than if you didn't approach the world with goodwill. And, um, and that you are loved. Even if the world doesn't always tell you that, you are loved by your parents and by your Heavenly Father. And maybe that is the only good note I can leave it on, is that Jesus loves you. And God, the Father, loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There is a place to go home. And that place is with your Heavenly Father.